This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. You know, one of the things I love is I love being the key communicator at this church. It's one of my favorite things to do. I have the privilege of preaching about three out of every four weeks. Uh, And when I was a kid, I talked all the time. I mean, my teachers would get mad at me, and now I've turned it into a profession, which I just love. I get to talk. I love it. But one of the downsides of being the key communicator is that I very rarely get to sit like you do and listen to a message. And I feel like it's so important for me as the pastor to be be taught by other people, to be learning, to be growing, to be reading and, and trying new things. And so one of the ways that I compensate for not being able to sit and listen to sermons like we get to do every Sunday is that I get online and I listen to messages, probably three or four sermons from various pastors, ages and stages and genders and racial backgrounds and denominations to get a, a wide variety, a picture of who God is and how God's communicating and allow them to teach me. And about once a year, I hear a message or a message series, and I just think to myself, I wish our church could hear that. I wish we could. And so what I've taken to doing is, ever since I was early on in ministry, I just started, uh, if I could, getting a hold of that pastor that communicated that, or getting a hold of their church and saying, hey, could I, could I take that series that you communicated, and could I transfer it to our church? Could I weave it to our community? But could I, could I share that? Would that be okay? And they, they always say to me, yes, that'd be totally fine. Uh, and then a few years ago, I started having people do that to me, which was odd. I was, I was shaving last week. I looked in the mirror, and I realized, when did I, when did I become like a grown-up? Not like a young adult, but like a grown-up grown-up, you know? Uh, when did young communicators in their 20s start coming to me and saying, Hey, Pastor Kevin, I heard you preach this series. Can I use it? And what I say to them every time is, Absolutely, and you don't have to give me credit. Just do it better than I did. Because I believe that these young communicators we have today can do it so much better than I can. And Pastor Jake, who preached last week, is a great example of that, isn't he? Of young communicators who are doing just great stuff. So all that to say, this three-week series that we're going to embark on together called Crazy Like Us is one of those series that I just, I heard from a communicator in the South, and I thought, that's something I would love our church to hear. And so they've given us the space to, to use that and communicate it, and I'm so thankful for that. And I want to ask you, as we dive into this series, you can get your teaching notes ready, because uh, we'll be using those today. As we dive into the series, let me ask you, have you ever had an experience where someone was trying to teach you something— that you thought you already knew? Or where you were trying to teach someone something? If you have kids, then the answer is going to be yes. Where you were trying to teach someone something that they thought they already knew? That's a trick, isn't it? Uh, just last week, um, I needed to cut some fabric. Don't ask why. I just needed to cut some fabric. And so my wife has this thing. It's like a fabric cutting thing. And basically, you can't really see it, but it's a wheel of sharpness. And, uh, and so I pull out this wheel of sharpness and I go, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to cut some fabric because why not? And she's, she's, she's over on the other side of the room and she says to me, do you know how to use that? Now to me, this looks very much like a box cutter, doesn't it? And I absolutely know how to use a box cutter. Here's how you use a box cutter. If you're me, you, you get the blade out. If you have muscles, you get the blade out. This is a trick. And then what I do to get it a good spot is I put my finger on the blue part right here, and I really push down, and then I pull. That's what I do. So I said, of course I know how to use that thing. That is almost insulting that you would even insinuate 
that a man of my intellectual prowess would not know how to use this circle box cutter thing. So I said, yes, Maria, I know how to use it. And so I took the box cutter thing and I put my finger right on the blade Right now, some of you are saying, don't finish the story, but I'm going to. (laughs) And I pushed down, and I pulled back, and I said, ow! (laughs) And actually, it's been about three weeks, and it just now healed up, like in the last two days. And it sliced right into my finger, filleted it open. And we're running late for a wedding, which I'm the reason why we're already running late. And she's like, do you need stitches? I said, no, I'm going to be fine. It's fine. Nothing's, nothing's wrong. I'm fine. And I hurt myself because I thought I knew how to do something and I didn't. And if knowledge is power, then the lack of knowledge leaves us powerless. And we're kicking off this brand new series today called crazy like us. And if you're brand new to new life, the way we kick off a series is we don't do a big in-depth Bible study on week one. What we do is we zoom out, we ask some big questions, we take a a big picture perspective, and then we spend the next two, three, four, six, ten weeks diving into the practical, specific applications of that thing. But here's the trick for this series. In this series, I'm going to attempt to teach us something that the vast majority of us, maybe 95% of us, believe at our core, we already know. And so at the risk of offending, especially if you were raised in the church, going to church as a kid, growing up in this, if you've been around for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, I'm going to try to teach you something that I'm pretty sure most of us think we already know but we don't know. Statistically speaking, 95% of us think we do know, but only, only 2 2.5% of us actually know. That's a wide gap. And that thing that we don't know is actually hurting us and leaving us powerless. Here's the thing I'm going to try to teach us in this series. I'm going to try to teach us how to be generous. Now, here's where you're thinking. I already know that. Yes, I just told you that. Yes, I know. I know. But I'm not going to teach us how to give generously. This is not about doing. I want to zoom out. By the way, this is why we just received the offering. I don't want to compel you to do something right now. That is, that is done. All I want to do is let us zoom out and have a conversation about how to be generous. And I'm not talking about random acts of giving. Those are usually either inspired by stories or they're guilted by people in my profession. Or we give you a good pitch on what could be. We're here. We need to get there. That inspires us to give. And giving, random acts of giving, those are good. I like that. That's good. But I want to zoom way out. Talk about lifestyles of generosity because there are certain promises that come with a lifestyle of generosity. For example, when we become generous, statistically speaking, we will give more 
save more, and consume less. Studies show that across the board in our country, people who who have cultivated, who have understood this new way of thinking about generosity, we give more. Somehow we save more and consume less. And we're going to talk about those second two next week. How is that possible? That you could give more and save more at the same time. Now, there's a disclaimer. There are some of us who have have saved so much that we're actually just going to give more and consume less. But that's a small percentage of the larger community. Now, if you look at that sentence and you think, well, that seems good. I would like to, at the very least, save more. But yeah, I'd like to give more and I could probably consume a little less or whatever. Like, okay. So then we have to stop and ask ourselves, if that seems really good, why wouldn't I do it? And here's the reason why. Because it's not natural. It's not natural. Natural is for water to flow downhill. What we're talking about is trying to teach water how to flow uphill. It's just not natural. If you have kids, you know that sometimes we have to teach things that are not natural. Sharing for children is not natural. It must be taught until our kids can internalize the reality that actually if I share, it will go better for me. It will go better for my relationships with other kids and siblings. It will actually make me a better person. Once our children have internalized the benefit to sharing, then we don't have to teach them how to share any longer. But until they know the benefit, they've realized it, they get stuck. So we're going to talk about it, and we're going to zoom way out today. When it comes to money, money just makes us a little bit crazy, doesn't it? When it comes to money, we start to believe crazy things. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. When it comes to money, we don't feel rich, but we are rich. Think about that. Compared to the majority world, and when I say majority world, I'm talking about uh, the vast majority of the people in our world who live on two and a half dollars a day or less. To the majority world, we're rich. Now, if you met someone from somewhere in the majority world and, and, and you came together and, and you said to them, I'm not rich, they would look at you and say, yes, you are. What are you talking about? And you would say, no, no, no. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand the financial needs that I have. And they would look at you and say, you have a house, don't you? You say, well, yeah, I have a house, but it's small. It's like a thousand square feet, only three bedrooms. They say, wait a minute, you have a house with multiple bedrooms. Well, yeah. And then, and then they'd say, and, and don't you have a house for your car too? Like, not only do you have a house, but your car has a house? You'd say, well, yeah, my car has a house. Yeah, I guess so. And then they'd say to you, but, but I noticed your car's on the street because you had so much stuff in your house that it overflowed into your, your car's house, and now your car can't even fit in your car's house anymore. You say, yeah, you're right. My car's house has gotten a little full of my extra stuff from my house. And then they say, and I noticed this sign on the street corner and you're actually taking all your stuff from your car's house and you're throwing it on your front lawn and practically giving it away. And you'd say, well, yeah, it's called a yard sale. And they say, why are you giving all your stuff away? And we'd say, well, because it's old and I want to get new stuff. And your friend from the majority world would look at you and say, you're rich. 
But here's the crazy thing about money. We, we are rich, but we don't feel rich. Very few of us walk around saying, I got so much money, I'm just passing it out. I'm just, I'm just flipping dollar bills. But we are. Another crazy thing about money is we feel generous. We feel generous, but we aren't. So we don't feel rich, but we are. And we feel generous, but statistically speaking, we aren't. Did you, and I want to talk to Jesus followers for a second. This is us, okay? So if you're here just checking this out, just you get to listen in. Jesus followers, did you know that we give, on average, to charitable uh, organizations, the church, orphanages, schools, charitable organizations, we give, on average, 2.5% of our annual income. Now, did you know that the average person in our country who is not a follower of Jesus gives to charitable organizations 2.5% of their average income? Now, here's where this, this kind of matters, okay? Because we follow a God who we believe gave everything for us. I mean, everything because of his great love. And then he invites us to be the most generous people in the world because we know that this world we live in right now is temporary. It lasts for a time. And our goal in this time on earth is to love God and to love other people. And then one day we'll be with God in in heaven, in eternity. It shapes us. And so we ought to be the most generous people. But right now, statistically speaking, and I'm not talking new life because actually we beat the odds. But statistically speaking, Christians and non-Christians, we all give about the same amount. And and listen, we can just, we can just, we don't have to think about ourselves, but 2.5%, I would not say, whoa, man, that is so generous. So when it comes to money, we just believe crazy things sometimes, which is why it makes sense that we do things that seem crazy, which is why when Jesus talks about generosity, we're going to look at him and say, that sounds crazy. And what I'm going to invite you to do over the course of this series is just to think about generosity differently and maybe take a risk. You've tried crazy like you. Maybe try crazy like us for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, and maybe even a few years. Now, now there's a lot of, again, we're zooming out. There's a lot of misinformation when it comes to generosity. So I want to talk about four myths of generosity. The first myth is this. Generosity is spontaneous. We go to a fundraiser. We see someone at our kid's school who needs something. Uh, We hear this great pitch about this great cause, and so we give spontaneously, which is great, by the way. Great. That's a great step. But that comes and goes based on how we're feeling and what's placed right in front of us at any given moment. And if we give spontaneously to things when they come, we are a giver, which is great, but we have not crossed the line into generosity. The second myth about generosity is that it's determined by cash flow. Statistically speaking, generous people are generous, regardless of what happens to their income. Here's what I mean. During the Great Depression, the average American gave 3.3% of their income away to charitable causes during the Great Depression. Because it's actually not about cash flow. It's, It's about an orientation and a lifestyle towards generosity. The third myth is this. It's the amount that counts. 
If you've ever been in an organization or at a fundraiser and, you, and someone gives this huge gift, what do we say? We say, so-and-so gave a, gener- a generous gift, a very generous gift. Thank you to the foundation for their generous gift. Did you know that no one knows if that's a generous gift or not? The only way to know if that gift is generous would be to look at all of that person's finances and see what this gift was in relation to their total net worth. So for example, if I gave $5 to my five-year-old son, he would think I am being extremely generous. But if he could see my whole net worth, he would know that that is not overly generous. Why? Because it's not a drop in the bucket to me. Five bucks is five bucks. But it's not generous. Here's the good news. Every one of us can be generous, regardless of our income, because it's not the amount that counts. And then here's, here's, here's the fourth one. Rich people are generous. Let me just be very clear. Rich people are rich. Generous people are generous, okay? Rich people can be generous. Rich people can be stingy. Middle-class people can be generous. Middle-class people can be stingy. Low-income people can be generous, and low-income people can be stingy. Rich people are not generous. Rich people are rich, although I know a number of generous rich people. At this point, you probably should be asking, so what is generosity? If it's not those things, what is it? And I, I did my best uh, to have us craft a working definition of generosity, and I'll just warn you, it's clunky. It's clunky, but it's specific in the language that we're going to use, and we're going to use this language throughout the series. Here's our definition of generosity for this series, and it's a working definition. Generosity is the premeditated, so you've got a, you've got a plan. It's premeditated, calculated, which means we already know an amount, designated, which means we already know where we're going to give it. Emancipation means you get to free it of personal financial assets. That's generosity. It's the premeditated. We got a plan. Calculated. We know an amount. Designated. We know where it's going. Emancipation of personal financial assets. And again, we're not talking about inspiration-based giving or guilt-based giving or cause-based giving. Those are all good. We're talking about a lifestyle-oriented around generosity. And the great thing about this is when we get here, we don't ever have to feel guilty about giving again. We don't have to feel guilty when we hear about this great cause because we already know where we're giving our money to. We've got a plan. We know where we're going. And we're already freeing our personal financial assets. And there's a second promise. And this is a promise that comes from Jesus himself. Jesus' promise about generosity is this. You will be happier the more generous you become. Now just let that sink in for a second. Because my guess is that you're hard-pressed to find an individual or a couple or a family who has internalized generosity and lives an others-focused lifestyle, who is unhappy and cranky and really doesn't like life. That's my guess. And I'm guessing that because Jesus actually promised it. I want to look at a text today, and this is the text we're going to focus in on. And whether you've been in church your whole life or it's your first time here, I can almost guarantee you've heard this. You heard it on Christmas when you didn't get the gift you wanted. You heard it on a greeting card. You heard it from your 
your brother when he wanted something from you? You've heard this, but it's been so overused that we actually, we've almost completely eradicated the meaning of it. And it was written by a guy named Paul, referencing a promise of Jesus. Now, this guy Paul went around in the world after Jesus lived and died and rose again and then went up to heaven to be with God, the Heavenly Father. This guy went around planting churches, and Paul was leaving one of these churches, and he talks to this group of church leaders about cultivating a heart of generosity. And this is what he says in that. He says, in everything I did, this is Paul talking, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. And he says this, remembering the words of our Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, he's not talking about an individual moment here. Because I would guess most of us would say, well, yeah. Yeah, it's blessed to give, but um, I feel pretty blessed when I receive, right? Like, it's nice to give a good present, but Christmas morning rolls around. I would like to receive a good one, too. I received my best present ever just under a year ago. I've been looking at this car for a while. It's an old 1973 MGB which is currently in my garage because it needs a new clutch, but that's okay. And I found the dream car. I found it, drove it, had my mechanic friends look at it. It's, it's an awesome car. It was in the budget. My wife said, I don't think we should get it right now. Let's just wait. Let's sleep on it. Let's pray about it. And I was like, uh, I've been praying about this car for a long time. So why don't you pray about it? <laughs> and the next day she says to me, hey, Kev, I think we should get the car. I said, that's great. She said, I got bad news. What? I called the guy who's selling it, and he already sold it. It's like, oh, no. She said, don't be mad. I said, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. That's what Christians say when we're mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> Fast forward, I leave for India a day and a half later. I come back from India. That car is sitting in front of my house. When she said someone already bought it, she meant her. That's how Christians lie. That's fantastic. Like, I'll take that lie. So if someone already bought my dream motorcycle and one of you has it in your garage, that's fine. <laughs> but I'll be honest with you, getting back from India and seeing my, my MG in the front yard, it felt very blessed to receive. I wasn't thinking, well, it's more blessed to give because it's not a one-time event. Paul's talking about, and Jesus is talking about, a lifestyle of generosity, Yes, it's great to receive in the moment. That is so fun. But when we have a lifestyle that's others-oriented, that, that sees it as a blessing to give away rather than to take from, it changes our paradigms. In fact, Jesus uses the word blessed, which in the original language means exceedingly happy, which is why the promise is that you'll be happier. You'll be happier if you become a generous person. You could say it like this. Happier is the person whose life is ordered around giving rather than ordered around receiving. Now relax, relax. We've already taken the offering. We're just talking here about a mindset shift that according to Jesus could make you a happier, healthier, freer person. And over the next two weeks, I want to teach us the truth of Jesus' words. We're going to look at a story he tells, which just shakes every paradigm we have. We're going to look at this guy, Paul, again, as he talks about 
what it looks like to be a church that orders ourselves around generosity. And then we're going to spend five weeks on a series that I am so excited about called How to Neighbor, where we're going to talk about what God's doing in the world right now. We're going to talk about some global issues. We're going to talk about local issues. Um, we're going to ask some questions about what does it look like to empower people, to give people a hand up rather than a hand out. But I guarantee in the midst of that series, you're going to hear something that's going to tug at your heartstrings. And the reason why I want to talk about generosity now and zoom way out before we get into the specifics of what is happening around the world is because my hope would be that this next series that we do will give you an opportunity to put feet to a new paradigm that we're learning. So for this next, well, two more weeks after today, I just want us to listen and learn and chew on these questions. And then we'll have five weeks where we'll talk about what's happening around the world, what's happening in our city, what's happening in our country. And we'll have a chance to actually practice the generosity that we're learning about. Because remember, if we can do that, spend less, you'll consume less, and you'll save more. And according to Jesus, you'll be happier doing it. Now, I want to close with a what if. What if you got home today and you had a checking account full of all the money you've wasted over the last 10 years? Now, hold on. I know you're getting excited. You're not going to. I just want to. But, but, but what if you did? And then what if you were told? You've got this checking account, all the money you've wasted over the last 10 years. What if you were told? You had to get rid of all of it in the next 12 months, but you couldn't spend it on yourself. You had to give it away. That was your job for one year. All the money that's been wasted. You just had to give it away. So you're at school. You see that your school needs a new track. It's like, well, let me write a check. Here you go. You go by a lemonade stand and they've got like half a cup left. You're like, here's $300. This is delicious lemonade. Think about it. You find out that one of your, your kid's friends is going through hard times with their family and you, you pay an electrical bill. You pay water bills. You buy a new car. You get someone's car fixed. You go and you hear about a cause around the world and it just grabs you. And you find out, I could actually fund that thing for the next six months. Imagine, imagine. You had a checking account full of all the money you've wasted over the last 10 years, and you had to get rid of it in 12 months, but you couldn't spend it on yourself. You could only give it away. Don't you think that at the end of that year, you would be a happier person because of it? I'm going to teach us how to do that over the next few weeks. And God invites us to it, all of us. And if you're here and you're brand new, I want to tell you, this is the story of God. Jesus says it himself. And Jake referenced it last week. Jesus said, I love you so much. God loves you so much. Not you in the general sense. The language is, for God so loved the world. But the context is, God so loved you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. God loves you so much that he gave his only son. He gave that whoever believes in him would never have to die. That means when you breathe for the last time, when you take that long blink, you wake up in God's presence that none should perish, but all should have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn us, but to save the world. 
through him. And how did God do it? By giving his only son. And then he invites us as Jesus followers to accept that gift and then to begin to cultivate a lifestyle of giving. Because the one that we serve has given to us. That we're not the originators of doing good. We're not the originators of giving back. That God is the originator of generosity. And as we experience God's great love, he flows that into us and then flows it through us into a world that so desperately needs generous people. That's what we're going to explore this series. And if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, I would like for you to actually tune everything I just said out. And I want you to hear just this thing. Just this thing. First and foremost, God does not want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants for you to experience his forgiveness. From the things that you've said or done that have hurt you, that have hurt those you love deeply, and ultimately that have separated you from a perfect Heavenly Father. He wants forgiveness for you. He wants to adopt you into his family to make you his daughter or his son with all the rights and the privileges of being a child of God. And then he wants to guide you on this journey of life, including cultivating a heart of generosity. But again, it's never something he wants from you. It's always something he wants for you because Jesus says you'll be happier when you do. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God, where you've experienced his forgiveness, where you've been adopted into his family, where you know he's guiding you on this journey, then I want to give you a chance to do that right now. I'm going to close our time in prayer. And I'm going to give you a chance to whisper a prayer to God, saying, God, I want to be part of your family. So would you join me as we close our eyes? Just focus ourselves in on God and allow him to speak to us through prayer. Holy Spirit, in this moment, would you speak to us the very thing that you know each of us needs from you right now? For some in this moment, it's comfort. For some of us in this moment, it's courage. For some of us in this moment, we are sitting here wondering if you are real. Holy Spirit, would you reveal yourself to us now? Would you guide us on this journey, Lord, over these next few weeks, teaching us how to live a lifestyle of generosity, how to be generous? Would you give us the humility to relearn something that we're pretty sure we already know so that you could cultivate in us the deep joy that you know? As we continue to pray, if you're here and you're ready to commit your life to God, start a journey with him, you can repeat the simple prayer. You can whisper it where you're sitting or you can say it internally because God actually hears you and will respond. You can whisper these words. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin so that I could be adopted into your family. And I want 
to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life, God, and forgive me? God, would you bring healing in the places in my life where I currently feel broken? And God, would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.